Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. so I can hide behind it. Um, so first off, who here knows what TLDR stands for? So a couple of people, but it stands for too long didn't read, which is sort of how I like to go about things. But um, it's, uh, I've got a few examples that might help explain it a bit more. So you can just shout these out when you guess the answer. Uh, so these are TLDRs for films. Uh, so an archeologist with whip finds things. Yep. <laughs> Um, the next one, leave Liam Neeson's family alone. Taken. Taken. And the final one is also a book as well. Aliens invade Earth, catch cold. Oh, it's, it's War of the Worlds. H.G. Yeah. Wells is War of the Worlds. So it's quite a good way of capturing the essence of a film. Uh, but it's, n- it's not a substitute for the actual thing. But what I want to talk about today is, is Psalm 24. And I was trying to explain that this is a sort of TLDR for the Bible. Um, I wouldn't substitute it for reading the whole thing. <laughs> but it does give you a good idea of what's going on. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read through it now. Um, and this is taken from the, the ESV. So. Um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Great. So, um, just looking through. So, the context of this, because uh, it's always important to start on context, is uh, it's obviously written by David, or written around the time of David, and the ark, uh, which is, you know, the God-breathed word, is arriving at the city. And from there, it's going through the city gates and ascending to a holy place. Um, and so, Charles Spurgeon describes this passage as a song of ascension. Um, and actually, it's we often think of ascension with Jesus, but actually it's the song of our ascension. Um, but this is, the, the context is taking God up to a holy place. Um, and the psalm can be broken into, into three parts, uh, and often is in, in several translations. So part one uh, is the creator of all. So we're introduced to a God that created everything. As a call to Genesis, he raised the land out of the sea, and everything we see is a result of his creation. The psalmist in this bit is reminding us that everything in the world belongs to him. There's no point us chasing stuff 
in this world because it was all intrinsically his. It's his to own. However, there is a much more interesting point that David is pulling out of this. He's, not, he's pointing out that it's not just the Israelites that are being saved. He's mentioning that everything in the world and all those who dwell therein can be saved. And this is really revolutionary in that time. The Israelites saw themselves as the chosen people. But actually, he's saying that anyone can experience God's love. And that's exactly what Jesus came to preach a thousand years later. And at the time, the Jews still failed to understand this. So David's doing something quite revolutionary in opening with those two lines. It's something we need to live by, that we were created by him and that we are his, and there's nothing that separates us from one another. We're all blessed by him, and all the promises that he has are for each of us, not just for individual people. So two lines, and we've got quite a bit of detail already. Um, but moving forward, so we now move into God's space. Um, and the first is talking about his law uh, and what's, what's required for us to ascend the hill of the Lord. Um, I don't know if anyone here has climbed a mountain, um, but I last year went to see my brother in, in America and we went to Vermont to climb Mount Killington. And it was like 3,000 feet up. It's, quite, it's a bit of a trek. Um, and it starts off quite easy, like a little gradual slope. Um, but as you get higher and the slope gets steeper and, and eventually you're rock climbing and the air's got a bit thinner and each step after step is getting harder and harder. And the more tired you get, the more difficult it is to take that next step. But then you eventually take that step to the top of the hill uh, or the mountain in this case and you have this amazing view and you know that all the effort was worthwhile. Well, this is what David is describing here. It's a tough battle to climb the hill of the Lord. It's not easy, and there's struggles, and uh, things will knock you back. But there's a reason why people spend, or hundreds of people attempt to climb Mount Everest every year. People, wouldn't, people just don't stop doing it because it's hard. They do it because the trade-off is so, so great. So when we're climbing the hill of the Lord, we need to be prepared for the struggle that each step takes. And we know that every step forward is also going to be a step harder. And as we can see from verse 4, it's not just climbing the hill that's tough, but also we have to have clean hands and a pure heart. It's saying that God doesn't just need us to be clean on the outside, but also on the inside, in our hearts. And this is really powerful. So, I was fortunate enough to go to Egypt uh, a couple of weeks back, and one thing that really struck me there is even 2000 BC, 3000 BC, they really intrinsically linked the heart with what is good, and they would weigh the heart against the feather of truth to see how good a person you'd be. And this is exactly the same like, area of the world that the Jews were, obviously, coming out of Egypt. So for them, they knew that God was talking that their heart is where their sin was linked. So the power of when David is talking about the heart is talking about how your sins that are on it and how truthful you've been and, and everything within your soul is connected with your heart. So the idea of having clean hands and a pure heart is something that you can only really use to describe God. So David's sort of saying this is impossible, which isn't hugely, uh, isn't a great pickup, is it? 
Um, and, then, and then he goes on to make it a bit more difficult. Um, because he goes on to mention that we must control our mind and not lift up false gods or, or, or our souls to false gods. And this is exactly what those who are here for Paul's talk was a really interesting one to talk about. Who's at your table? Who are you putting between you and God? You know, is it, is it um, drugs, alcohol, sex? Or, or have you got your friends, your, your outreach partners that you've gone and gone around Bassey with? Who's sitting at your table with God? And what's in between you and God? Um, I would highly recommend going and listening to Paul's talk. It was really, really good. Um, <laughs> plug for the podcast there. Well, it's all sounding like a lot of hard work. And what is so good about the top of this hill? If you climb a bit of the way up the hill, you get an idea of what the view is going to be like. So you could sort of stop maybe halfway, have a nice look at that way, and then, and then go back down. But what's so good about being at the top of the hill? Well, this is where we then see the promise of God. This is what he's promising us. Um, is we will receive his blessings and we will be made righteous. And that's really important. That's God making us perfect again. That we'll be able to sit on that hill with him for eternity. But how is it possible for us, unclean and impure, to reach the top of that hill? Well, we need a guide. Um, and if you climb Everest, you also need a guide. There's a, a lot of like, Sherpas that will take you up, and, and they're the ones that climb it more often than anyone else. But someone needs to descend that hill to show us the way up, to make us pure and give us the strength to get there. So who will receive this blessing? And this is where Karen spoke the other week. She, taught, she spoke about seeking God first. And this, it has a, it has a really nice... Um, phrase in this. It says, such the generation that seeks God. The generation that seeks God will receive his blessing. It's not just about trying to please God with sacrifices and offerings, which is what they were doing at the, at the time. It's about pursuing him, to seek him and to find him. And seeking is a verb, so by its nature it's a doing word. And you've got to ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I seeking God? So that's, that's sort of where we're at. We know exactly uh, who creates everything. We know what we're promised. And then it's the middle bit, which is like, there's still a question of how on earth do I get between being at the bottom of this hill, getting to the top, and, and receiving these blessings? So this is where the interesting part of the passage comes in. And, it, and it's sort of the bit that originally drew me to the whole passage. Um, because I was reading through and it said like gates and doors and gates and doors. And I just was like, I don't really know what this means. Um, but the more I kept looking through the Psalms, I was like, I just keep getting drawn back to that one. There's something about the gates and doors that really uh, appealed to me. Um, but that's mainly because I just had no idea what it was on about. Um, <laughs> So I thought, well, I might as well put the effort in and try and learn this. But the final part is to do with the coming uh, of the King of Glory. So to understand this, um, we need to think about the City of London. I don't know if you've been to the City of London, but you, you can sort of just walk into it. Um, but there's one person in this country that's not able to do that, um, and that's the Queen. So the Queen can't just walk into the City of London. She has to be invited in by the, Lord, the, 
Right Honourable the Lord Mayor of London. It's quite a long title. Um, but she has to go to the mayor and ask if she can be allowed into the city of London. And he'll often say yes. I don't think he's ever said no. <laughs> it's sort of like a technicality at this point. Um, uh, and he will say yes, yes, of course you can come in. Um, and then there's a ceremony. And he, she touches a sword and it's like very... I had a video of it, but actually it was a bit boring. Because um, it's literally the queen touching a sword. And then they're like, and she arrived, because it was from like 1950. So it's like, and she's arrived in the city of London to much thoroughfare. Um, and that was it. But if, if you went back 500 or, or 1,000 years, which is when this tradition comes from, there would have been uh, a gate all the way around the, the city. Um, and actually, it's what made it so impenetrable that that's why she has to ask again, because she, she, couldn't, she couldn't get in, or William the Conqueror couldn't get in and, and accepted that they were their own state. So the call comes out when, she, or when a king were to arrive, and they'd say, open the gates. This would be the monarch's men. Um, open the gates. And the city would reply, who's there? They'd say, the king. Say, the king who? The king of England. Maybe not so much like that, but the call to open the gates is coming from the king. It's coming from the king and the king's men. But why is there this call to open the gates and the ancient doors? Well, it's the Lord asking us to open the gates to the city. It's not, when I read it first, I thought, oh, someone's just saying, open the gates, so let's get them open. But actually, it's a request saying, open the gates, which is why there's the response, um, uh, who is this king of glory? Because that's us. We're the ones saying, who's there? They've gone knock, knock, and we've gone, who's there? <laughs> but it's God's calling, saying, open the gates, open the gates. And we're saying, who's there? Um, and so he wants to come in to be around us where we are. And that's the idea of the gates. The gates is him coming in to be in our city, which is a bit like to be in our everyday. So he's coming in to be in our everyday. He wants to be in our everyday. But then the call is open up the doors. And the doors is something slightly different. The gates is about being in the everyday, and the doors is about coming into our vulnerable spaces. It's a bit like inviting someone into your city and then inviting them right into your home. Um, and, and we lift up the bolt from the doors. We're letting him into that vulnerable place. Um, the Hebrew for ancient is ovlam, which also can mean eternal. Um, so when it says ancient door, it's actually talking about your eternal door, which is the door to your heart. So your ovlam pitchai, which is exactly what it is, is the everlasting opening. Um, and that's our deepest connection with God. So what's the difference between these gates and doors? What's the difference between letting God into our lives and into our hearts? Thankfully, Luke helps us out with this. So Luke 7 gives us a great look into this. Um, Simon the Pharisee accepted Jesus into his home, but he doesn't offer him water, he doesn't offer him a kiss, he doesn't offer him perfume for his feet. So he'd accepted Jesus into his home, into his life, but not actually into his heart unlike the woman who was there, and she accepted him. She, she wet his feet with her tears, and her sins were forgiven. 
She'd let him into her heart, but Simon hadn't. And then in the same chapter, because it was nice and easy to like, keep things in one place, um, we see the centurion. Um, and he accepted Jesus into his heart, but not into his home, claiming he's not worthy to have Jesus in his home. Jesus does commend him for his faith. So I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. But the centurion is so worried about what other people might think that he ends up not bringing him into his house. And so he doesn't experience the glory of God, but the person he put forward, his servant, does because he's not willing to accept him into his house. And then the, the final one is you have Lazarus. And he's someone who accepted Jesus into his heart and into his house. And that's why Jesus and, and Lazarus, they were such great friends. And Jesus is so upset to learn when he passes. You know, he cries, he's distraught. But it's because Lazarus accepted him into his heart and into his house that he's saved from death and he's quite literally brought back to life. So I have a question for you guys. Is God outside your gates or is he outside your doors? It's important to remember that God is so mighty in battle that there's not a door or a gate that can hold him back. Um, and he could just smash through the doors if he wanted to, but he doesn't. And it's because he's not forcing ourselves into his life. He wants you to accept him in. He's calling out, open the gates. And actually, if we look, because we've covered Genesis, we might as well go to Revelations as well, because... This is a summary of the whole Bible. Um, in that, he goes, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So that's Revelations 3.20. He doesn't need to smash open the doors or smash open the gates because he's there just asking to be let in. He's there asking us to open our gates and open our doors. So when King Glory comes, will you hear him knocking? Will you hear him knocking at your door? God will happily wait patiently outside uh, until you, you feel the time is right to open them, or until you feel him, or until you actually hear him knocking. Um, and he did, that, he did that for me. So four years ago, uh, I was in Vietnam, and... Um, building tension. Um, <laughs> no, four years ago I was in Vietnam and um, I was probably about as far away from God as, as I've ever been in my life. And uh, I was just, I was out there having a good time and um, one night, the day before, uh, a girl basically said she doesn't like me. I was like, oh, gutted. Well, there's only one option from this. I've got to go and just have a really fun night out. So I, I uh, drank a lot, and I put a lot of this stuff between me and God at my table. And um, I got really quite drunk in this club on the outskirts of Hanoi. Um, and I ended up getting really nasty. And it's, it's something I learned. It's I did not, when I drink too much, I get really quite nasty to people, and people don't like me. And they had no patience with me after a while. 
that they just left me in the streets. So I was uh, on the streets outside Hanoi with no money, uh, no phone, no idea where I was, completely alone. Um, and I remember shutting my eyes and I just said, God, I'm sorry. I need a miracle. I need you back in my life. I need you to save me. And uh, no sooner than I'd said that, uh, that a moped pulled up and a man just said, get on. I was like, <laughs> this can go one of two ways. <laughs> but I've prayed, so therefore I'm covered. And, uh, and he, drove me, he drove me back to my hotel, thank goodness, and dropped me off. Um, and I turned to him and I said, I'm sorry I've got no money. And he said, that's no issue. That's not a problem. He said, go to bed. <laughs> and he was gone. And I was like, well, thank you. And, and I just firmly believe that if I hadn't opened the door at that point and just said, I need you back in my life, then who knows what would have happened. Um, and all I've got, because he always makes me laugh, uh, I looked up recently, I was flicking back through, because I've saved everything from when I was in, uh, in Hanoi, and I have the card of the moped guy. I did try to call him the next day to give him money, but it didn't even like ring through to anything. It was bizarre. But I had the card of the hotel I was staying at, and um, <laughs> it was called the Church Hotel. <laughs> so I got picked up in the streets and dropped off at church. Uh, after praying to God. Um, so I don't know if the, the band are, are able to, to come back up, but um, I just think it's time to take a minute now, and it might help if you just close your eyes. And I really want you to ask yourself and really dig deep and ask, is the gate to my life open for the for the King, the Lord, strong and mighty, to come in. You know, is, is he standing next to me in my day-to-day, -day, ready to battle, to do battle for me and to fight with me? Um, and, have I and have I allowed the Lord into my life but kept my everlasting door closed? Is he able to make my heart pure, my hands clean, and my soul full of love so that I can ascend the hill? because there's no way we're doing it without him. And this is something we all struggle with, um, and I do on a daily basis. But if you're struggling to open that gate, perhaps there's stuff that's preventing you from, from getting the bolt off and, and, and swinging open the doors and unlocking the doors, then just, we'd love you to come forward and we'd love to pray for you. And actually, if you've never heard God knock at your door and you feel that today is maybe that day, that you want to just say, you know what, let's, let's open this door, let's see what's behind it. Let's take that first step up the hill. Then we'd also love just, just to come at the front and receive prayer. Because I really feel there's some people in here that just, the door's slowly closing and we'd like to fling it back open again. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.